0: Hello and welcome to CavernCast. So something crazy happened. Um, it was something very weirdly coincidental. And um, as soon as it was over, my mind went to this podcast and I thought, they are never going to believe this. So let me tell you what happened. In last week's episode, I spoke about how I have this kind of preset in me. I guess you can call it a preset. I don't it's probably not the best word for it. Today is a day when my brain is just gonna throw out random words. But um it, it's just sort of hardwired to you know, if I see an animal that needs help, I will help it. And I know that sounds like an obvious thing, but I mean like even if it's just got a limp, or if it just seems a bit lonely and a bit off, I'll I'll go out of my way. And I think it was just how I was brought up. I was brought up with um, animals being, well, dogs specifically, being more important than humans. <laughs> and that's fine. To me, that is valid. Um, but now, like, whenever I see like a bird, or a mouse, or a hedgehog, or anything like that. Regardless of how late I am, or if I'm going somewhere important, this urge kind of takes over. I've already spoken about the time that saving a pigeon got me to tension at school. Um... Because I was walking back to school, well I was probably going to be late anyway, so I thought, in for a penny, in for a pound, and um, tried to save this pigeon that was clearly very distressed, and uh, it unfortunately died of shock in my arms. So that was quite traumatic. Literally, a few days after I recorded that episode, how I have this urge to help animals. I was driving. I just got in the van. I started to drive and I saw this pigeon that was limping along. No, it wasn't limping. It was walking normally, but its wing, one of its wings was hanging down. And I thought, oh, that doesn't look right. So I stopped the van got out of the van and went to sort of see if it was all right and it started jumping away from me because obviously to a pigeon, this six foot two giant coming over, slightly intimidating I would imagine to a a little pigeon, especially with a dodgy wing and it can't fly away. So I was kind of, I was unsure about what to do. Um... I didn't know whether to take it, the VETS was closed because this was late. Um, This was about 8 or 9 o'clock, something like that, maybe a bit later. It was getting dark anyway. And I decided to, uh, because I didn't want to pick it up and give it more stress, I decided to just give it some water and a bit of bread. I know that's not like the most ideal diet, but... I gave him a little bit of bread uh, and a little Tupperware box of water so he'd have something. I'm assuming the gender right now, just for the... I th- no, it wasn't male. And so when I, when I gave him some water, I started to go back and I was like, okay, there's only so much I can do. Hopefully his wing will get better. But I've given him some water, blah, 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 blah. I've done my bit. Next thing I know, this cat, this ginger... Ginger cat um, Bright orange Looked fierce Looked like um, Crookshanks from Harry Potter Comes out of nowhere And Stares this pigeon down Obviously thinks it's got dinner I tried to get in the middle of the Cat and the pigeon I called the pigeon Paddy by the way So the pigeon is called Paddy And I'll tell you why I named him that In a minute So this cat did not care for me in the slightest just absolutely just disregarded me what like not not a, a dash a smittering of concern for the fact that i was there straight past me bolted for paddy and i thought my instinct was okay it's better me taking Paddy, and freaking him out, than him getting ripped apart, by this cat, so I managed to get the cat away, which it was probably quite pissed about, because I've probably ruined his dinner, managed to pick up Paddy, and uh, take him inside, so I I did not know what to do, he did not I managed to get a box for him and I put my dressing gown in there for him so he was comfortable. He wasn't comfortable. He was... He was a fighter. Hence why I called him Paddy after Paddy the baddie Pimplet, the MMA fighter. Because this little dude, he did not care like... About damaging his wing more, he was trying to hit me with it. so um i I had no idea what to do, discovered there was um an emergency vet, and phoned them up. They said to bring him in, and they could have a look at him. so I did. I put some lo-fi music on. And that kind of helped calm him down And then I put a, a podcast on To try and keep him chill I was hoping he wasn't dead At this point it was kind of like Schroding his pigeon And um, got him to the emergency vet At this point it was like midnight um, So I brought him in And the vet had a look at him And She said that his wing was so badly damaged That it probably wouldn't repair He wouldn't survive in the wild So the best course of action probably was to put him down Which is, it's not the happiest end of the story But it was the kindest Because he didn't get ripped apart by a cat He didn't die of shock because of me and he wasn't left fending for himself in the wild and he didn't succumb to infection or anything like that the vet said to me I did the right thing and I'm holding on to that for dear life because I still kind of feel a bit guilty but seeing as that cat was right there I think I did the right thing so that's what's been happening with me I just found that in- incredibly strange and coincidental that that kind of thing hasn't happened to me for a long time and as soon as I talk about it happening in a podcast it then happens a few days later fascinating universe I, I'm not really sure I want to be manifesting that to be honest Mr. Madam Universe Sir Madam I had if we could leave that one out That would be great Thank you I just felt like I had to start with that story Before um, we crack on with the words Because it was yeah too strange Not to tell you about But I hope you're doing well Hope you haven't had um, Any run-ins with wild animals That resulted in sad endings um, If you are listening to the podcast For the first time Hello Welcome, how it works here is I use a random word generator to generate five random words and then I just talk about them I talk about whatever comes to mind stories from my past or of people that I know or the history of certain things um, fun facts, anything, anything really while you go about your business or go to sleep or have a nap or maybe you're in the bath perhaps you're reading a book no that wouldn't i mean maybe it would have maybe a picture book i imagine my voice would be quite distracting if you are trying to read a book if i was reading the book you know that would be much easier is that the thing that people do do, do some people Read books while listening to the audiobooks? Perhaps that's a thing that you do. That's a real immersive experience. I don't know if I could do that. It's kind of that there's... um, I have a very specific voice that I read books in. um, So to have an actual voice doing that, if I was reading the book at the same time, I don't know, that might be a bit conflicting for me. But each to their own today's first word is bloody which is an interesting one i don't think we've ever had a word like that come up before which is interesting seeing as i've just been talking about the pigeon's wing when i when you look at the word bloody this is this is what i think right this is another one of those reasons why i find the english language so interesting i believe Truly, the world would be a much better place, a much nicer place, a much happier place, if the word bloody was pronounced how it was spelled. Bloody. Bloody. Oh no, I appear to be injured. Look at all this blued. I'm losing blood. Takes all the pressure off, right? Look, there's blood everywhere. Doesn't seem as bad. Doesn't seem as bad. Oh, bloody hell! Doesn't have the same ring to it. Doesn't have quite the pizzazz as bloody hell. But bloody hell, blood takes all the scariness and intimidation of vampires away. I want to suck your blood. You know, much. So many areas of life and the world would be improved if blood was pronounced blued. So, apart from the association with Ron Weasley, um, I kind of want to know the origin of bloody hell. It seems like a very specific, um, exclamation in the same way that, um, in the same way that, you know, holy crap or god damn it or you know those those kind of ones that is just when when you when you involve religion in the in the exclamation it makes it seem more impactful I guess let's have a look okay Use of the adjective bloody as a profane intensifier Oh, a profane intensifier predates the 18th century. Its ultimate origin is unclear. fair enough. And several hypotheses have been suggested. It may be a direct loan of the Dutch bloot, meaning entire, complete, or pure, which was suggested by occur in 1837, to have been transformed into bloody in the consequentially absurd absurd phrases of bloody good, bloody bad, bloody thief, bloody angry, etc., etc., not etc., etc., where it simply implies completely, entirely, purely, very, truly, and has no relation to blood or murder, except by corruption of the word, Interesting, so it may have nothing to do with it at all, and we've stolen it just like the English have done with many a thing, although the you know the origin is is unclear, that one wouldn't surprise me if it was that. Bloody has always been a very common part of Australian speech and has not been considered profane there for some time. I don't think Australia considers any words to be profane to be honest Aussies use the the most most profane words as a replacement for commas so yeah i don't think bloody even touches the sides the word was dubbed the australian adjective by the bulletin on the 18th of august 1894 also in australia the word bloody is frequently used as a verbal hyphen or infix <laughs> As in, fan-bloody-tastic. I didn't realise that was a an Aussie thing. I thought that was an English thing. Fan-bloody-tastic. Amazing. In the 1940s, an Australian divorce court judge held that the word bloody is so common in modern parlance that it is not regarded as swearing. Meanwhile, Neville Chamberlain's government was fining Britons for using the word in public. Okay. Yeah, Aussies definitely got there first See, they wouldn't have got fined if they just said bloody instead So this is my gift to you for the first word of the day First word and a first gift The word bloody If you're ever having a bad day And you want to say bloody hell This is a a terrible bloody day No, a bloody terrible day This is a bloody terrible day This is a bloody terrible day and just, that'll take the edge off just a little bit it may still be a bloody terrible day but um, think of that as a little cushion for the day word number two is peaceful a state which I hope this podcast helps you to achieve even if it's just a little bit I've always had this thing with Things being peaceful in that something can be as sort of viewed as as peaceful as you like, you know, like a, a serene lake or a um, an empty beach, an open field, a quiet mountain, or a forest. You know, all these kind of um, typically peaceful things. But what I've realised is that and this is, this is again my view on the whole thing but um, this, is, this is what makes sense to me these things um, these situations aren't inherently peaceful they're just things they're just places um, what they provide is an opportunity for us to become peaceful, I think, and I've thought this for a little while and I've definitely mentioned it before, that peace and feeling peaceful is very much determined by your inner state, not where you are externally. And why I think, could because you can be in these places that are deemed to be very very peaceful Um, But you can feel incredibly tense You can feel scared, panicked, anxious Especially if you associate one of these typically peaceful places with something bad Like, you know, most people view a beach as quite peaceful and you can have a nice time But, you know, if you got attacked by a shark on a beach... You're not going to associate it with particularly calming thoughts. But what these places mostly do is they provide the opportunity to, to become peaceful most of the time by being inherently quite quiet. They're often places that not a lot of people are and they provide the opportunity for down the volume on the inside because there's no distractions so it's all well and good not having any distractions from the outside but if you're constantly distracting yourself on the inside it's still not going to be peaceful so I think the, the, the internal and the external have to work in tandem to create some kind of version of peace that can be attained just some food for thought there I very much associate playing piano with peace but I've also associated it with um, anxiety as well it can be both it all depends on what stamp you put on it I used to hate, hate my own company and now that I've done enough work on myself and have begun to Become good friends with myself. I really enjoy my own company, and I find my own company peaceful. I find solitude peaceful. I don't know if I'm going to go live in the woods yet, but I can see why people do it. The next word of today is tin, tin, and immediately, the thought that pops into my mind are the like the tin can earphones. Or like the the tin can phones The quintessential image of two kids Close but separated by a fair distance Each with a tin can Attached to the other one by a piece of string A long piece of string And one of them's holding their tin can up to their ear Listening while the other one talks into their tin can And the sound travels across the string So they can share secrets and plans to take over the world. Or just bitch about people. Hey, did you hear about Susie? No, what? Has she pooped herself? No way. Yeah, but it's fine because everybody's done it. I haven't done it. Yeah, you have. Everybody has. I haven't. Dude, everybody has. Stop lying. I really haven't. Yes, you have. Okay, I have. <laughs> Best friends for life. That that dialogue was not anecdotal, I promise. Tin also, for me, conjures up images of Christmas. Like tins of biscuits and tins of sweets. I come from a very small family, but... Um, we definitely went along with the English tradition of tins of biscuits and chocolates at Christmas. And um, because I was the only child, I uh, I had a lot of biscuits and chocolate. <laughs> you know, if I ever felt lonely, them biscuits kept me company. Or often it was like a, a milk tray. Because we, we didn't, you know, we didn't often have... Fancy, luxury biscuits I was... I was a big fan of digestives Don't get me wrong, I had a very good time Which I found out digestives were actually Named that because they were invented for that person That person? That purpose To help with um, digestive issues It was originally developed in 1839 by two Scottish doctors To aid in digestion McVitie and Price. I think, I think that was them. I was gonna, I was gonna try and look up like what the origin of eating like tins of biscuits and chocolate at Christmas was, but that's just—it's just gonna be capitalism, isn't it? Something to do with capitalism, or maybe it came from you know like Christmas cookies or like just Christmas candy and. Then they just decided to put them in tins or release Christmas versions of the tins. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that specific a thing. Not like, you know, Christmas stockings or Christmas cake or stuff like that. And then there was always the disappointment of um, going around someone in the families and thinking you found a box of biscuits or a tin of biscuits opening them up so excited to consume perhaps a um, a bourbon or a custard cream or a chocolate digestive or something very tasty or a cookie of some kind and opening it up only to find sewing paraphernalia needles and threads or fabrics or scissors or something of the sort it was always sewing stuff why was it always sewing stuff I can't remember it being anything else in there if there wasn't biscuits in there that was like true childhood disappointment that was you know in terms of life's disappointing revelations that you discover throughout the course of your life finding sewing supplies in place of biscuits is um, its a real it's a real teacher about the world it sets you up it's a real good lesson you don't always get what you want you cannot have your delicious bourbon cream but you can fix a hole in a pair of jeans <laughs> poetry absolute poetry absolute poetry word number four Is bored. Have we already had bored? B-O-A-R-D. Not B-O-R-E-D. Oh. Do you know what? We may have. But I know I haven't spoken about this before. Because. I. Recently got back into playing. Settlers of Catan. Or. Catan. As. Y'all in the US call it. Settlers of Catan? Settlers of Catan. Anyway, fantastic board game. Very, very much better than Monopoly. Results in way less arguments. It's more tactic-based. It's not based on money. It's good. It's good. It's all about what the universe gives you rather than capitalism. Uh, Catan is a board game where you basically uh, You use resources to build settlements And uh, roads to connect those settlements And whoever builds the most wins And you get resources by um, rolling a dice, basically And if your settlements are built on particular numbered tiles that correspond to the number on the dice you get whichever resource the tile represents it's very good, it's very fun, I highly recommend it, but it got me thinking um, what the earliest ever board game is was so I looked it up and the first ever board game apparently was called Senate Senet is an ancient Egyptian board game that dates back about 5,000 years. Um, The earliest confirmed painting of it was in the tomb of Hesse, who died in 2613 BCE. But apparently there are also strong resemblances to the game in earlier paintings dating back as far as 3700 BCE. Um, there's not a lot of clarity on the rules of Senate, but it is said to have a lot of reference to the afterlife to the point where it was known as the game of passing or the game of death. Um, not like Squid Game is known as the game of death. Like the game of, yeah passing, passing over, the game of the afterlife. And it was, it was said to have been so widely played that it was basically the equivalent of like knowing how to play chess now. Like, you know, you'll always, you'll never be far from someone that knows how to play chess. But apparently the actual gameplay is said to be quite similar to Backgammon. And I I think, and this is my, um, escapism brain jumping in here because I watched too many movies as a kid and played too many games um, I think I'm going to have to learn how to play it just in case my life takes a uh, particularly historical action movie turn and um, there's a situation where I need to know how to play it because um I get challenged to it by the the main the main villain of the story this ancient Egyptian pharaoh that came back to life and the only way to beat him is to beat him at Senate and if I don't win then like he takes over the world and everybody dies or the plagues come back you know the trope, you know what it is a slumdog millionaire but for Egyptian mythology but yeah um, I'll figure out the rules and I'll, I'll let you know I don't know if I've spoken about this before, but like, I'm not a sore loser. I'm just a passionate player. So if I'm playing Monopoly, I get re- well, you know, something like it. I'll get really into it and I'll really want to win. And I'll like, I'll, I will try anything to win. I won't cheat. You know, I have morals, but like, I will be really into it. Um. But then, if I lose, I'm very accepting of it because it's just a game. But people don't believe that. The amount of times people have said to me in the past, they don't say it anymore because I'm, I'm I'm not like that anymore. But like, um, I'm I'm not as uh uh vocally passionate about it anymore. But um, which I know is hard to believe considering my uh tone of voice. But um, yeah, I've had people say to me play Monopoly before that like, dude, it's just a game. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm gonna win. I start. It's like, I've got this little grimace on usually that I just, I, I just get very. The adrenaline and the competitiveness just rises in me, and I like I love it. I thrive on it. And then if I lose, I lose. It's totally fine. I don't get um, sucked into the uh, the unending pit of despair that is losing. Speaking of. Uh, pits of despair quicksand is the last word and I, I know that's a very strange last word but that's how this podcast works sometimes, it is what it is typically um, typically not the most relaxing of things to talk about Um, it's not the most chill of subjects, but I do know something about quicksand uh, and that thing is how to get out of it, so to to turn this around for the end, I am going to give you a way to get out of quicksand in case you ever do get stuck in it, so if you are one of those people who in the back of their mind has always had that anxiety of, oh no, oh what if I get stuck in quicksand, What whatever will I do, fear not, I've got your back. I am throwing out to you the proverbial rope of safety. In fact, um to ease your mind even more, according to the National Geographic website, which is a pretty valid source, I imagine quicksand actually doesn't even pull you in like in the movies. Like you don't you don't fully sink into it, which kind of sounds like propaganda written by quicksand, but whatever. This just in Quicksand is safe everybody Come hang out in Quicksand Come have a great time It's like a mud bath It's good for you It's good for the skin Come on You'll love it Definitely not written by Quicksand (laughs) Quicksand is a um, It's a mixture of Sand Huh No way sand, clay, and water and movement in quicksand is what makes you sink into it because, and let's get science for a second um, the way it works is that when it's subjected to stress it becomes more like a liquid <laughs> same it becomes like a liquid uh, very quickly. But then once that initial um, liquefaction, which is a very good word, liquefaction, um, has happened, it then thickens up really quickly due to the sand that's in it. So it like freaks out and goes liquidy and then it goes, oh God, and tenses up. The sand that thickens it up is like the coping mechanism Quicksand is just very mentally unstable. Quicksand is bipolar, basically. <laughs> so that is why when you move in quicksand, you start to sink, but then it thickens up really quickly and you can't get out of it. It's a very quick process. But apparently we are not dense enough as humans to be able to sink in all the way. So that's nice. Apparently you would, um, you'd only ever really sink down to about your waist. But, like, straight up having your mates pull you out, like, rip you out of it, is not recommended either. Apparently that can, that can do some real damage. What is recommended, which I, I think I saw this either on Mythbusters or Bear Grylls ages ago, is to, and get ready for this, take some mental notes here in case it ever happens. If you are, let's say, waist deep in quicksand, you basically lean onto one leg, put all your weight on one leg, and then shimmy shake the other one like you are trying to fling dog poo off your shoe. I mean, like, it's stuck on there, and you are flicking it, flicking it, and just shimmy shaking the hell out of your leg basically what this does is it creates a gap that allows water to get through but you won't sink any further because you're only shaking one leg at a time and then it gets all dummy thick again around the leg that's not moving so basically you wiggle a bit, lift leave it then wiggle, lift and leave it on the other leg and you just basically shimmy shake your way out throw in a little twerk if you you want to get some space around that booty and basically repeat until sweet, sweet freedom and you are absolutely welcome in advance for saving your life I told you, I've got your back and your booty and with that I am going to leave you if you would like to repay me for uh, potentially saving your life you can do so by joining the cavern cast patreon patreon is a website where you can support me and this podcast financially because there are no sponsors on it and i really enjoy doing it and it takes a little bit of time and the more you guys are able to help out the more time i will be able to have To make this podcast as chill and as fun and as relaxing as possible. So if you would like to support me in that way for a very, very small amount of money each month, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash cavern. And there's currently a load of bonus episodes up there as well, which you can go and enjoy at your leisure. And with that... I am going to bid you farewell I hope you're feeling a bit more chill than when we first started And you can carry that chilledness Into the next portion of your day or Whatever you're about to do I wish you well with it So until next time Take care of yourself Be kind to yourself And I will speak to you soon Okay, bye.